But if you want, you do not have to follow. But if you want to, I made enough copies of the different stuff. There's a lot to start with. So the first thing I want to tell you is a famous medrash. It's on the first page. It's it's actually I, the easiest way to find this is there's a chumash called the Torah Tamima. What the Torah Tamima does is it takes the chumash, and on the bottom of the chumash it quotes Talmudic sources. You know, so that this way you can give a, a, a lecture and you could say, well, you know, the Gemara Baba Basra says this and this, and it sounds like you know Baba Basra and you know the whole Shas. It's not true. You just looked at the bottom of Tartamira. So look at this, Obi. It says that, um, that uh, in the Pasuk it says that uh, the mother took the, the little ark, the little teva that Moshe was in, and put him in Besel Hasuf, into the, it's not really the Red Sea, it's supposed to be the Reed Sea. I don't know, that was like one of those, it's like it's in Kew Garden Hills. It's a crazy thing. Kew Garden Hills is flat, and Kew Gardens is hilly. So they were obviously smoking weed. Are, are you taping this already? Sure. No, it's okay. I don't care. They were they weren't smoking weed. They were drinking alcohol. Okay, but there was something going on because this is over here. Q Garden. They went to Hashivenu High School. They went to Hashivenu High School. Hash. They went to. They went to Hash High. Okay, so that's okay. So look at this over here. So so look over here. I, there's a little dot on the bot on the sec on the second from the bottom here. It says Nara It said the Pasik says Batiftach Bateras Hayelid and behold in Pasik Vav and Abasya, the daughter of Paro, opens up this this uh, thing and she sees the the yelled, the, the little kid. Vihine Nara Bochem, the child is crying. So so the uh, this is actually from the Gemara in Sota. See, I know that because it's, it says it over there. Narabocha. Do you see that where there's a little dot on the first page on the bottom over there? Do you see it? Yeah, like over there, right there. Well, if you want to follow. So Korla Yeled Bikorle Nar. The Pasa calls him a Yeled and the Pasa calls him a Nar. What is why? So what's going on over here? Malamed. This is telling you a tradition that we have. This is probably, I, I, for me, for me, this is one of the most humanistic and sensitive things that I've ever seen a commentary on the Chumash say. It's not a commentary, I mean, Shah says this. Malame, we learn, His mother, Moshe's mother, made a little chuppah in the ark. She made a little, little chuppah in the ark. She puts him down in the ark, and she fastens like a little chuppah over him. And she says, Amra, she says, you know, Shema lo ezker b'chupaso. I'm never going to see him get married. This is what the mother's thinking about. You want to understand women? You want to understand your mother? You want to understand your mother? Moshe's mother puts the kid into little Moshe, little baby Moshe, into the Red Sea, Reed Sea, whatever sea, into the water there. And what she does is she fastens a little chuppah because in her heart she's saying, I'm not going to see him getting married. I'm never going to get a chuppah. He's never going to get married. He's going to be dying. That's it. 
It's like, to me, that's a very poignant statement. She was it's a sensitivity. What? She was right, unless she lived more than 210 years, she didn't see his... She didn't we, see him. Really, she that might be true, but the point, I'm not thinking about that. You are correct, but it's a sensitivity. I, I, I'm, not, I'm looking at this, that, yeah, she says Shema, maybe I won't see. She didn't say, she wasn't having a prophetic vision, but this is a concept. Who, where's Moshe coming from? From a sensitive woman, you know? But don't think for a moment that mother and little girls, you know, like, that. I don't care. The woke world is trying to make men into women and women into men. At the end of the day, yes, there might be some boys that like playing wedding when they're two years old. Maybe, I don't know. But most healthy boys are running around breaking windows if they could, right? That's what they do. And most healthy girls are watching, reading Bride magazine and thinking about when they're going to be brides. That's your little source over there. Isn't that crazy? That she made a little chuppah. Okay, so now let's talk a little bit about Moshe Rabbeinu. Let's talk about Moshe. Where's he coming from? I mean, when you think about Moshe, when you think about Moshe, you have to first think about Basia Basparo. She's not Jewish. She's going, she's, she's the equivalent of Hitler's daughter. That's what she is. If you don't want to say Hitler, we could use Arafat. I'm not comparing the two, but you know. But I don't think so. I think it's more. I think it's more like Hitler or, or, or the head of Khomeini in, uh, in Iran. That's the, he's, she's the door. So how did she, how did she, what was going on? She decides she's going to convert to Judaism. That's what she decides to do. So Rav Gamliel Rabinowitz, I mean, think about it. What got, What do you say? It's okay. No okay. Problem. Okay. So Rav Gamliel Rabinowitz, he, if anybody wants to these the the sheets, it's Kadai, because we're going to get into some good stuff soon. I hope. So Rav Gamliel Rabinowitz talks a little bit about how how did she decide to become Jewish, and he says something very interesting. He decided. I mean, this is what he said. I do not know where he got it from, but it's, it's a very interesting point. She, he, she looked and said, if the, if the Egyptians hate the Jews so much, there must be something there. That's what attracted her initially. And then she goes to the Nile River to convert. That's what she was doing. She's going down to the river because a woman doesn't need a bris, right? No brisim for women? We don't have at eight days, we have a bris for a boy. We don't make a brito. We don't do that. Some people do things like that. We don't do that. But seriously, she goes down there. And then what happens? She does, well, there's two interpretations. One interpretation is she sends her amosa, her messenger, her maid, to go and get the baby, to get the basket. She sends somebody. Because she wouldn't go by herself, but she risked that that baby might be killed. But she made it very clear that she wanted that child. But the, the tip, but the most accepted approach, or rather the approach which we all know from the time we we're little kids, is she stretches her hand out. Which means she did something which is absolutely irrational, but she tried. Because what does Judaism say? 
You just go for the gold. You try. And if you try, then, you know, remember the little book, I'm 64. So the book might not be relevant to you guys, some of you anyway, but there was a book called the, it was called the, the Train That Could. The Little Train That Could. And it started by saying, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And then it changed into, I know I can. Do you remember that book? That was a good book. That wasn't a woke book. That was a good book. I, I still it wasn't, ha, I, I still think I'm it. a girl, I think I'm a boy. That was a, that was a good book. But, but, but seriously, that, that, that's Judaism 101 is she stretches her hand out. This is all in the psyche that Moshe is going to grow up with. You know that in the family, this was a story, right? That everybody said, you, you, you know, do you remember that story? Yeah. Yeah, she went to the river. To convert. To convert. And then sees baby motion. Yeah. Uh, and she stretches her hand out. And it stretches. The measure right. says it stretches. And it goes and she gets in. She sees a little baby and she knows it's Jewish. How she knows Jewish? Circumcision. Whatever she knew, she understood. She wasn't stupid. Who's putting babies in rivers, you know? And, of course, it says that the Shekhinah was present. And, you again, we all know that there's no doubt. There's no doubt that that story followed the family all the time, especially since she ends up marrying. Who does she end up marrying? Who does she marry? Huh? Kalev ben Yefuna, the, 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 the head of the tribe of Judah. So she's like a princess. She's a princess, and then she is a regular convert, and then she becomes a real a, a princess. That name is just one second, just one second. So that's in that in the family. And what does she do? It's so interesting because she names him Moshe. Yes, go ahead, son. If she converted, then why is why does it say that uh, Moshe wouldn't know she was? No, she wasn't converted yet. But she was going down the tutorial. I don't know if she converted at that time. At that moment, but I don't know. But she wasn't nursing, though. She wasn't. She didn't have the kids, so she yeah. wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's also true. You're a doctor kind of guy. You should have all those things. No, yeah. I thought they didn't need nurse from her because she was Egyptian. I don't. I. I they tried. She, she tried to nurse by Egyptian other people, way. by a bunch of, and she he wouldn't do it. But whatever. But she didn't. But I don't know if she converted at that moment. Maybe she got busy with the little baby, taking care of the baby. I don't know. Maybe she converted the next day. I don't, I don't know. But, it, but that's where she was going down there. So she calls him Moshe. It's according to the Mephoshim. She Moshe was an Egyptian name. I don't know how this works because I'm not into etymology, but because Rashi quotes the Gemara that says, that I drew him out of the water. Okay, out of the river I saved him. I don't know how that's not Hebrew. It sounds Hebrew. But we have the tradition that it's Aram, that it was an Egyptian name. And that's the name that it says in Vaikra Rabba that Moshe had how many names did Moshe have? Do you remember that? Seven. He had seven names. He had seven names. Tuvya, Yared, he had a bunch of names. And Hashem says, there's only one name I'm calling this baby. There's only one name. And that is Moshe. Out of reference, out of reverence, and Hakar Satov to the woman who saved this baby's life. And that's what I'm going to call him. The daughter of the evil Paro. Think about it. Think about it. You want to talk in your face? 
Hitler's daughter saves a Jew, and that Jew ends up being Mashiach in the palace in Nuremberg or wherever. That's what was going on over here. It's not only it's not only a shtach. There's no bigger shtach. There's no you can't think of anything more counterintuitive than Moshe learning how to lead the Jews out of Egypt, then putting them in the middle of the palace of the enemy. It's just baffling. And that's why he Moshe Yiparo was so willing to kill Moshe when he heard that Moshe killed the Egyptian. Then he was ready to go kill him because from the beginning he hated him. So going further over here, just think about this. From the time that Moshe was a little kid, he hears his name every day, Moshe, which was the name from the water I saved you, which meant that he is being told that God performed a supernatural miracle on him, that he was saved. And who saved him? His mother. And how'd she do that? In this supernatural way. So what does he do when he walks in the street and he sees an Egyptian starting up and trying to kill a Jew? What does he do? He stands up because he understood deep down in his bones that this is what you do. You stand up to defend Jewish people. And he even defended non-Jewish people when he saw two one Egypt when he saw Egyptians that were trying to kill each other, whatever, fighting each other. He did that also. He because we know that the story was that after Egypt and he had to run away, he ran away to Ethiopia. And he was the king in Ethiopia. What was he doing over there? He was protecting the people, the downtrodden. That's that's who Moshe Rabbeinu was. Rabbi Beryl, Beryl Wine has a whole thing about this. He said that he was in... So he, uh, he, he was from Chicago and... He's, I heard him say this story in person and also online, whatever. He, he spoke about, he had been in um, Yad Vashem, and they have a, a room. I don't know, because I, I, I can't go to Yad Vashem. It's too hard for me. So he goes, in that room, they have all the names of little babies and children. And for a moment, he thought he heard his name. And then he realized that he was a survivor. And that's a message, that a survivor has a purpose. And the message here to Moshe was, you're a survivor. Well, that's Moshe was, he, you're a survivor. You have a purpose. See, part of our problem that our kids are having is they don't feel purpose. There's nothing to, there's no purpose. And all they're doing is just going online all day and just watching junk. It's when you have a purpose. That's what say what what it says in the pasuk when it comes to Yosef. Yosef is seventeen or whatever age he is. He's a young man and he's got this woman who's after him. She strips in front of him. She tries to entice him, and then she threatens him that she'll throw him into jail if if he doesn't have relations with her. And Moshe's and and, and Yosef's response. I heard this from uh, from. Um, um, uh, it'll come in a moment. The brain's not working, but it, it, the pasuk says not what it says in in, in Rashi, but the pasuk says that Yosef responds. It says, "Ainen agodo babayis kimosi." There's nobody in this in this in this uh, in this house that's greater than me, because the the boss gave Yosef over the power, and he says, "How can I do this? I have a purpose in life. I have a position. I have." 
I have, I have something that of, of value. That's, that's what held him back from doing those terrible, the terrible Avera. And that's what happened over here. That's what Beryl Wine said, that we are all survivors. One way or the other, there is nobody in this room who isn't a survivor. We're all survivors. Different type of survivors, maybe, but we're all, we are here, and we, therefore we have a purpose. And it's very important to instill that into the understanding of Jewish of all children that they have value. They're not just little cockers that are just making trouble, you know, and you'd be just as happy. I was watching a Seinfeld video. Uh, it's called, it was, it was one of his stand-ups. It was from, it was actually really funny. And he was describing, uh, he has a daughter who's 18 and she's going to college. And somebody said, this is your eldest child. How do you feel about her going to college? Did you ever hear this line? So he said, children are like little alligators. When they're little, you put their finger in their, in their mouths and you feel the little teeth nibbling at your finger. And it's so cute. And you feel so, it's so adorable and you love them. They're such good pets. And then all of a sudden they start getting bigger and then they get bigger and you say, we got to get this the hell out of here. And that's what, he, that's what he said. That's what it is to have a 20-year-old daughter in your house. Now, it's a joke, <laughs> but that's not the attitude that we have to give over in, in all. Uh, it's a joke. It's a joke. You know, whatever. So Moshe's walking in the desert. What's he doing in the desert? He's watching the sheep. And a sheep gets lost. Sheep get lost, right? That's what they tell me. I don't know. I've never been a shepherd. <laughs> but they tell me sheep get lost. Cars get lost. WhatsApp can put you in the uh, ways can put you in the wrong direction also. But anyway. So he's going. And he sees a bush that's burning and it's not consumed. So Rabbi, th this is actually fascinating. <laughs> Rabbi Belsky, you've heard of Rabbi Belsky, all of us, Zefatali Rapa. One day he came over to me and he said to me that the concept of this Pasuk with Moshe is one of the fundamentals of Judaism. You have a bush, and the bush is burning, and it's not being consumed. That's like his example he told me was like a car that was driving on the FDR drive. I remember telling me this. A car is driving on the FDR drive with people in the car, and it's totally on fire, and inside the car, they're listening to music, and they're just driving, and the car is totally on fire, and nothing's <laughs> happening. And you're looking at it. So he said to me, some people would run away. Some people would bow down to it. But Jews don't do that. What does Moshe Rabbeinu do? Moshe goes forward. And he says, Asur era. Let me go forward and see this wondrous event. And then comes the key word. Madua. Why? Why is this bush not burning. What the hell? What is going on? It's not a normal thing for a bush to. It's just not a normal thing. That is what a Jew is. We're supposed to question everything. Something happened last. I think it was World War II when the questions were too big for people to deal with, and therefore we shut down. I think that there was a certain time in history where 
because the questions of what was going on in the world were just too big, we just shut down as a people, as a nation, as a world. I don't think people question anymore so much. Okay, how many people really understand how computer tech, how computers operate? Very few people. How many people know how cars work? Talk to young people. They don't have an idea about how cars work. You know? Now, there are exceptions. Some people do know, but most don't. And people don't care, as long as it works, right? As long as it works. Do they care about how fuel injection works? No. How many people here know about fuel injection? Okay, so some of us. Most of us don't care. Okay. But we're supposed to care. I think World War II knocked this out a little bit in that area. But now it's coming back. People do have questions and people do want answers. Otherwise, they won't be religious. They want to have answers. So I wanted to show you a couple of my favorite Gemaras of little questions, uh, which are short to the point, but I just, to me, I just like them. So I decided I was going to show you a couple. First is on page two. It's from Sanhedrin, the, third, the 11th chapter. It's called Chelek. Okay, we are talking about two, four lines from the bottom. This you should look at if you have a Gemara. If you don't, okay. So, read the words. Shalah, who's the next word? Who's the, who's the, who is the big Talmida Chachama who is in the Gemara over here? Shalah, Cleopatra, Malkasa. So Cleopatra has a kasha. She has a kasha. Now, based on our watching enough Netflix... Right? For the whole, I mean, like, you know, for everything. What do you think is on her mind? Cleopatra was famous for making, ma for, for swallowing pearls, because it was supposed to be good for complexion. Are pearls kosher? They come from non-kosher animals. But then again, a bee comes from non-kosher animals. Is, honey comes from non-kosher animals. You could do that, assuming you have hashkacha on it. By the way, you know why you have to have hashkacha on honey? The Gemara says you don't have to have hashgacha on honey. So I, I'm in New Hampshire. I go to a honey farm, and where they, with they sell, they make, they, you know, they produce honey, and most of the stuff has hashgacha on it, but some of the stuff doesn't. So I asked the owner of the, actually, he's the manager, this woman, of the honey place. I say to her, "This is certified kosher. This is not. What's the difference?" And, and she was very open with me because I come, every, I would go every year, and she said to me, "The certified kosher is filtered. The non-certified kosher is not is not filtered, and little pieces of bees sometimes remain in the honey. Just for your information, okay? So, go ahead and buy some key food honey with no ashkacha. I don't care. Eat bug wings." Delicious. More protein for you, yeah. <laughs> what? Well, no, if you see little wings in there, you're not supposed to eat it. But I feel like something not kosher goes into honey, honey kashas. Like, no, not if you see it. If you see it, you can't eat. Even bittel, let's say you were going to be mabatel. If you see the piece of, if you see the piece of pork, you can't say that there's 60, you know, 60 times that pork, or, you know what I mean? If you see it, you know, for whatever reason, if you see it, that doesn't work. But 
You could ask my son. He knows more about this. So anyway, getting back over here. So clearly, so but you can't eat, can't eat pearls. Just just for the record, it's not kosher. In case you were going to take a pearl from your wife's necklace. Why is a pearl need a hefker? It's not an edible object. Uh, okay. No, it's not. <laughs> I don't know. I don't eat it's pearls. That, a, that an oyster produces. Okay, so you see, this is different people have different interests. I, I don't know. I never thought about it. I, I really don't know. <laughs> well, now it's what you see. These are things you have to think about. So anyway, so what do you think Cleopatra's thinking about? What do you think is on her mind? Shola Cleopatra Malkosa's Rabbi Mayer. So Cleopatra, the queen, had a question to Rabbi Mayer. First of all, it's pretty amazing that Rabbi Mayer had a relationship with Cleopatra. But for the record, Cleopatra seems to be a name like like the pharaohs or the presidents. It's it's not like uh, what, who was Elizabeth Taylor? I think was Cleopatra in the movies. I I don't think it was Cleopatra. I don't think it was Elizabeth Taylor, but. Who is Jewish, right? Did she really convert? I don't know. Whatever. So this is her question. Whichever, whoever it was. Closhola, Cleopatra, Malkosas, Rabbi Meir. It also shows the openness over here. I mean, think about it. So Amra, she said, Yodana de Chivi. I know that the dead are going to be resurrected. She knows. She knows it's Tchiasamesim. Not only does she know Tchiasamesim, but she has a pasuk for it. You stop how many Jewish people who are religious and who know the Pesukim. Because it says in the Pesuk, they're going to come out of the city like the grass comes out of the earth. So therefore, she says, I know that this Chiyas HaMesim, and I can even prove Pesukim to you that, that, that the resurrection of the dead will happen. Ella, but here's the question. When they come up, when I come back, I'm assuming she assumes she's coming back. Omdim arumim, are they coming up naked? Obil vushehem, or are they going to be closed? That's her question. Fair question. How many? What's going to be? That's on her mind. That would fit. Wouldn't that fit for a question for Cleopatra? See that? I don't know. Can you put that out? I don't know. So So he responded. He actually, he didn't just blow it away. Every question deserves a responsible answer. Where is it? Two lines from the bottom. He said, I'll give you the answer from wheat. If you take a piece of wheat, it, it's like naked. It's like just a seed. Yotis become a levushin. Comes up with lots and lots and lots of covers, right? A person, uh, okay. Like meaning, like you know, leaves, lots of you know. So tzadikim, maybe not her. Tzadikim, holy people, shenikbru bilvoshehem, who come up with, I'm sorry, who are buried with shrouds. Alachas kavakam. They're certainly going to come up with clothes. So therefore, that's the answer. You're going to come back with clothes on. You're not coming back naked. In case you're worried, but uh, that's what she said. That was her question. I found that to be fascinating. But then you get the next question. Next question is better. I mean, I should say better. Okay. Next peg. Next. It's up to two dots. So now, Antoninus. Do we know who Antoninus was? Okay. So just for a quick history of Antoninus. Uh, Antoninus is um, 
is in English we call him Mark Anthony. Antoninus Mark Anthony. So apparently he had a very close relationship with Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. Uh, it started with the mothers, the mothers of Rabbi Yehuda Nasi's mother and Mark Anthony. Antoninus's mother were best, were friends in Rome. Because Yehuda Nasi becomes the prince of Israel. He's a wealthy man. How do you have the wealth? It wasn't that he was working in the factories. He was Yehuda Nasi. Rather, that he was a wealthy man. And there was a decree in Rome that if all Jewish babies were to be killed, and the mother of, of, of Antoninus switched her baby with Rabbi Yehuda Nasi's mother, so this way, the baby of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi's mother was uncircumcised, right? Therefore, not Jewish. But really, it wasn't. You got it? Am I confusing anybody? Do it again. Should I do it again? I'll do it again. Mark Anthony has a mommy. His mommy and Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi's mother were friends. The Romans come up with a decree. If you have a child who's circumcised, the baby's getting killed. So they switch babies. Nobody's going to Mark Anthony and saying, to the mother of Mark Anthony, and saying, let's check that baby and see who's circumcised. They're not doing that. You know, that's like going to Obama and asking Obama if he goes to shore and you'll give her. You know, it's not happening. It's okay, you can leave that. So, um, so that's what happened. So their relationship was like going, they had a relationship forever and ever. Later on in life, between the palace of Mark Anthony and the palace of Yudanasi, because there was like an embassy from Israel in Rome. I don't know if you realize that, but that's what happened. So there was an underground tunnel between the two, and they would study Torah in the middle of the, they, they'd study the Torah. They'd go back and forth underneath the tunnels, and they would study together. So the Gemara is now going to tell you some of the questions that Mark Anthony had of Rabbi Huda Nasi. Right, so we'll do a couple quick questions and then we'll go further because I do want to get to the Pirkei of the Ezra. I don't know if I have time, but we're, we're going to try. Okay, so Amalei Antoninus the Rebbe. So Antoninus, Mark Anthony says to Rebbe, Rebbe Huda Nasi, this is on the second page there at the two dots. You see the two dots? It's about four, I don't know, five lines from the top there. So he says, Why does the sun rise in the east and set in the west? Fair question. Everything is fair. That's the point. Everything is a fair question. Why does the sun rise in the east and set in the west? So Rebbe answers him, I'm going to let you have if it be the opposite. You would ask the question also. That's, that's what he says to him. You're asking me why the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. And if it would have been that it rises in the west and set in the east, you'd ask me that question too. Meaning, this sounds like a klutz kasha, like a silly kasha, you know, a silly question. Amalei, so Antonina says no. So he goes on, he says, I mean it seriously. Why does it go that way? And he says that this has to do with how, how the, the earth is bowing down to the sun and whatever. But this is the question. Let's go down a little bit because I like the next part here. Um, it's four lines from the beginning of the fat lines. Listen to this. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, go down uh, like five lines. Just let me let me read it to you. So he says like this. Amalei Antoninus Rebbe. 
This is has halachic implication and it's very interesting. Mark Anthony says to Rebbe, Nishama, the soul, When does the soul enter the body? Mishas Pekido, from the time of conception. This is Mark Anthony's question. Does the soul enter the body at the time of conception? Or from the time of formation of the body, which is, let's say, 40 days later, something like that. When does the soul enter? By the way, and this therefore is going to have implication about abortion, you know, and other things. When is the soul in there? Amalei, so Rebbe answers, and he says, Mishas Yitzira, from the time of Yitzira, which means the time of formation of the body. Amalei. So Mark Anthony responds and says, Is it possible for meat that has no soul, a dead a, a piece of meat, to sit around for three days without salt? Meaning, if it's if there's no soul in that in that embryo, if there's no soul there, then it's not alive. If it's not alive, it's just like a piece of meat, and it's not going to last for forty days. It's going to get s- spoiled. So, Gemara says, Alma Rebbe, Rebbe said, Davazeli Mati Antoninus. Mark Anthony taught me this. Just a big thing for Rebbe Yudah Nasi to go down in history and to be able to say, I learned this from Mark Anthony. I think that that's pretty crazy. Okay, so we're going to stop there because. What? He learned that the soul comes in at conception. Conception. Now, I'm not saying that that's halacha. Just saying that that's what the Gemara says over here, you know. But it's just the point of it that he's saying that he learned this from that individual. Now, it's twenty of eleven. We have three options, and I'm okay with any of the three. We can stop. We can stop. We learned to, you know, we learned stuff tonight. I'm a happy chicken. Happy rooster. We could stop. Go a little bit more about no drop more about how you have to care about people and their feelings, which is what Moshe did. We could do that. We could do a little bit of Eliezer Ben Herkinus. We could start with him. We're not going to finish him, but we could start. What do we say? It's, uh, let's be open here with time. What do we think? Are we also shy? <laughs> Huh? A little bit more about Moshe. Um, I was going to read an amazing story about Arya Levine and about how you care about people, the caring of people. Do we want to do that? A nice story to end the night? Do you want to do that? And then next week, do Pirkei Durab Eliezer? Yeah? Okay. That's what we're going to do. You know what, though? We could do one more thing. One more thing. We'll do one more thing on questions. I Because this this is the famous questions at the back of... It's in Gemara Brachas. We've done this already before about going into the bathroom after your Rebbe. Right? Everybody knows those Gemaras? How many people know the Gemaras about going into the bathroom after your Rebbe? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah? Do you remember that Gemara? A little bit? Vaguely. Okay, so if it's vague, then I'll read it. 
If it's vague, you got to do this over. It has to do with the questioning. So we're going to do that, and then we'll do the story, and then we will call it a night. So the Gemara says over here, Pamachas, this is the Gemara Brachas on Samach Beis. You want to follow, you can follow, because this is one of the more bizarre. This, we're going to have to see how it comes out. It might be a little bit risque, maybe too much, but we're going to check it out. It's Gemara. It's Gemara. So therefore, if a person has a problem with it, go to Art Scroll and tell them, right? We don't care. Tanya, Samach Beis, Amud Aleph, Alma Rabbi Akiva, the great Rabbi Akiva, who, by the way, was a student of Rabbi Eliezer and Hercules. We'll deal with that next week. Pamachas, Rabbi Akiva said, one time, Nichnasti Acha Rabbi Yoshua I once followed Rabbi Yoshua into the bathroom. I followed him into the bathroom. Now, first of all, you gotta remember, bathrooms were not the same as bathrooms today. They also didn't, it's actually really important that you understand that they're not the same as in the olden days. Also, they didn't have toilet paper. What did they do? This is for the halacha, not because I care about Charmin, but what did they use? Leaves. Poison ivy? Is that what you said? Leaves. Leaves. No, I don't think they used leaves. They used, in English, that's called stones. They used stones. That's right. So we launched me in a gimel tevarim, and he said, I learned three. I, <laughs> I learned three things by following my Rebbe into the bathroom. First of all, you, that the bathrooms are supposed to be east to west. I mean, not supposed to be east to west because that's in the direction of the Beis Amikdash, El itself and Bedorum, rather, the direction should be north-south. Okay, that's what he said. And I also learned that um, you don't you, you use your right hand, you, you use your left hand, not your right hand, because remember, you know, your hand's could have gotten not so clean, and you're putting tefillin on. Okay. So, Amalei Ben Azai. So Ben Azai says to Rabbi Akiva, by the way, Ben Azai becomes Rabbi Akiva's son-in-law. Right? Uh, no, because toilet paper is there. Which part? The north, south, east, west? No, that doesn't apply. We'll do that later. I'll do that later. So he says, Ben Azai, ben Azai says, you have such chutzpah, you follow your Rebbe into the outhouse? Like, how far do you go? So Rabbi Akiva says, listen, it's Torah, I got to learn it. I'm, I'm not listening, I got to go and learn. So then this Gemara says the same thing happened to Ben Azai. It says, Ben Azai Omer Pamachas Nichnasti Acha Rabbi Akiva. So <laughs> Ben Azai says, I one time went in to follow Rabbi Akiva, right? And he learns whatever he learns there. And at that point, his student, Rabbi Yehuda, says to, to Ben Azai, I can't have the You, I mean, come on, you followed Rabbi Akiva into the bathroom? It's Torah. I have to learn it. Okay. But then we have, let's do this one. So if you remember, this is the great tzaddik in our time, Rabbi Arya Levine. I mean, big, big tzaddik. He died in 1968 in Israel. So part of the whole thing with Moshe was that he was no save but only Chavero. He felt people's pain. He felt everybody's pain. 
So there's, uh, and that's how we're supposed to live. So this is the last story in this book. And this is how it goes. Now, Ravari Levine was the Rebbe in a very poor Jerusalem school in the 1930s and 40s and 50s. And he, well, not 50s. In the 20s, 30s, and 40s. And this is how it goes. Whenever a boy at the Eitz Chaim school reached his 13th birthday, it was, old, it was an old established custom for his classmates to give him a sefer some holy book of Torah learning as a gift in honor of the Bar Mitzvah. Every pupil gave his share of the cost, and when the Sefer was bought, it was never given to the Bar Mitzvah boy without Rabbi writing a few words of dedication and good wish in the name of the class. Okay. And without those few lines, the boy felt that the gift was lifeless and hollow and empty. Well, one boy came from a desperately poor home. His parents' financial situation was such that there was just no way for him to give his share for any of the bar mitzvah presents that the class bought. He was just too poor. In time, however, his 13th birthday approached, and because young boys cannot temper the cruelty of justice with the mercy of understanding, the members of the class refused to buy him a sefer. Unable to think further, they decided he should get as good as he gave. And that was that. All right. Two days before the boy was to have his bar mitzvah, Rabbi Aryeh happened to meet me, that's the author, in the school courtyard. Tell me, he asked, why hasn't anybody brought me the safer for so-and-so so that I can write the dedication? Of course, I told him the truth, because the, youngsters never, the youngster never gave any present for the other, for the others, and the boys would not buy anything for him, right? That's the way people are. So Rabari said, go to my home and tell my wife to give you a set, special set of kumashim that I have. Soon enough, he had the set of kumashim he wanted. And as I watched, he wrote in the dedication, who knows, he said, as, he, as his pen formed the gem-like Hebrew, gem Hebrew letters, who knows how much anguish this boy would have suffered if he saw his classmates coming empty-handed to his bar mitzvah celebration. It would have been murder. Was it his fault that he could not share in buying presents for others? Of course not. So if there's a way to save a poor boy from distress, we have to do everything we can to gain such a great mitzvah as that, and he finished the dedication in the name of all the boys in the class. That's what a tzaddik does. Okay, next week we are going to do Birkin Rabbi Yezer and the story of, it's called the, uh, the Ovis Snake Ovis. That's what it's called.